0: Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Everyone find a seat. We're going to be diving into God's Word here. Thank you. Uh, my name is Carrie. Kerry Kaufman. I'm the pastor of Connection and Discipleship here, and uh, I'm super jazzed to get to dive into God's Word with you again this morning. Uh, pastor Mike is in Washington today. He's doing some more research for his dissertation. He's getting his doctorate right now. And so he's in Washington interviewing a church, mayors, church members, all sorts of cool stuff. And uh, Pastor Justin, the pastor of our branch church in Los Alamitos, he's up there too. And so uh, Pastor John, our youth pastor... Was preaching in our Los Alamitos branch, too. So we've got a bunch of things shifting around. We're excited to be up here. And um, my lovely wife was here in the first service, as was my son. And God bless. The workers in our toddler's room who are watching my son. <laughs> it's so great uh, to have them there and serving in the gifts that God has given them in that way. Emily um, was actually watching Ethan for most of the day last week on Friday because I had a memorial service, a gravesite service to go to in Hemet. That's a bit of a drive out there. But did anyone hear or see the poppy bloom thing that was going out by Lake Elsinore? Yeah. Man, you guys got to see that? That is so cool the hills were super orange out there, and it's like driving on the freeway, and like, whoa, okay, I got to stay focused. Whoa. <laughs> so thankfully, I didn't get into a crash, at least, um, but that was really cool, and while I was out there at that service, um, after the service was over, I ended up talking to some of the relatives there, and they, I, we just got to talking about church, and they said, yeah, we're not really going to a church right now, and I thought, you should come to Cypress Church. Come join us at Cypress Church, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And uh, I just thought, that's an opportunity I got to jump on, right? Um, that doesn't usually come very naturally to me, to just invite someone to church, or, hey, where, what do you know about God? Or, hey, do you want to know about Jesus? That, that just, so, but I thought, the opportunity is right in front of me. I just got to go for it. And so that happened, and that's been making me think since then, just to keep a- alert. Spirit, what are you doing? Who should I talk to next? And so I went to the dentist a couple days ago, and uh, <laughs> right, I was like, use the opportunity. So I was like, God, is there anyone at the dentist office that I can talk to in the waiting room or whatever and just see what's going on, see if there's someone I can invite to church? And so sure enough, I go in and I, and I get, sit down in the chair, but you know how it is at the dentist any kind of conversation you're trying to have, your dental hygienist is like, oh, I have a question for you. And then you're like, ah, and then your mouth gets filled with tools and you can't respond, right? So I'm trying to have this conversation with her and I find out kind of in between drills and knives and all sorts of things going in my mouth that like, okay, she's got this sister that was a medical missionary, but she doesn't actually go to church and and doesn't really have a church right now. And I was like, oh, I want to ask her if she can come to Cypress Church. And then it was like, well, you could... (laughs) you know, and like, okay, well, my mouth's full. There's nothing I can say. And after that, the dentist comes in and gives me the overview. And he's like, well, your teeth look great. And I thought, yes. And he said, but there's a cavity we have to fix. I'm like, oh, great. That's what great means. Great means I still have to work on stuff. And he's like, yep. And you got to come back for another appointment. So we got to schedule you again. I thought, oh man. So I'm walking to the office. And I need to make a new appointment for this. And I'm thinking, this popped into my head again, what Lance Leffler, a pastor who was preaching here a couple weeks ago, was sharing. He was saying that as we looked at Romans chapter 3, that the way we interact with God because of sin is a little bit like the dentist. And he shared, it's like the dentist because Lance was saying, I brush my teeth, I floss, I try to use mouthwash, I try to do everything I can, and yet I still have to go to the dentist. And the dentist says, yep, I still need to do a cleaning on you every you know, six months or whatever because it's not good enough. Everything you're doing, it's still not good enough. You need outside help. And I remember being at the dentist myself last week thinking about Lance's illustration, thinking, I'm in the same boat. I've tried to brush my teeth as good as I can and floss and use mouthwash and everything else I can think of. And yet I'm still here with a cavity under one of my fillings and I have to come back. I need outside help. I'm not, what I'm doing is just not cutting it. And I wonder, do any of you feel that way? Maybe not just at the dentist, but in our lives overall, right? Maybe you've turned in those, all those assignments and your teacher just never gives you the grade that you're trying to aim at. Maybe you've been trying to work so hard, but your boss is never satisfied. Maybe you've been trying to show your spouse love in different ways, and it just never seems to be quite good enough. Or you're caring for your parents, and you never measure up to what they want for you. You think, oh, I'm never good enough. How many times do we think that maybe about God? You see, because God's standard is like up here. He's God. He's holy. He's perfect, infinite. And so God's moral standard is through the roof. And so we look at God and we say, no matter how hard I try or how good I am, I can't come close to your perfection. And there's a conflict in that. There's tension in that, right? That's what leads us back to Romans. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. This is the question we're wrestling with. Before a righteous, perfect God, what hope do broken sinners like us even have? What hope we're gonna be in the book of Romans again, and we're gonna to try to dive into scripture and find an answer to this question. This question that touches each one of us. So if you have not been here, if you're a guest with us, we are in a Bible book of Romans. We're in a series. And maybe if you just you've been here but you forgot, we're in the Bible book of Romans, and it is written by the Apostle Paul, chapter one, verse one will tell us that. And Paul was writing this book to the church in Rome. Um, through a scribe. He wrote it while he was working in the uh, city of Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. You'll see a map on the screen. Um, and so you'll see the two cities. He's writing across the sea. And he's writing because on one level, he's going to want to go to Rome soon. He's been through these missionary journeys. He's on his third one. And he's thinking, I want to go further. I want to tell more people about Christ. And so he's hoping to go to Rome. So he's writing a letter to them saying, hey, it's me, Paul. You may have heard of me. Um, And there's also some situations going on in Rome that Paul ends up wanting to address too. And you'll see that in the next picture. The the issue was that there were schisms in the church. There's division because there's a bunch of Jewish followers who grew up in the Jewish faith, and now they're Christians, but they have all these Jewish traditions they're used to. And then there's Gentile, non-Jewish Christians that are also following Christ, but they don't have any of that Jewish background. And so there's conflict on how they want to worship, how they want to get together, how they want to potluck, or whatever. Um, And so all of that is coming to a head, and Paul is saying, okay, I'm going to write my letter to you so you get to know me, so I could maybe drop by, and I want to just lay the groundwork for what this is all about. Christian unity, Roman church, and Christian thought, Christian mission, Christian vision, all of it boils down to one essential thing, and we could summarize that in one word it is the gospel. The gospel is at the foundation of all of it. So, Paul writes this book to explain what the gospel is, because that is what's going to help the Roman church know how to be unified. So, he starts in chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says his own personal manifesto. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, all ages, all, all measures, all locations, everything for everyone who believes. And then he continues in chapter 1 to show our need for the gospel. So chapter 1 shows about how all humanity is broken, stuck in sin and rebellion. And then chapter 2, he talks about how people who aren't even Jewish, who don't even have the Old Testament... They've still been able to look at all of creation and how marvelous and intricate and amazing God made everything and how God made humans and know from those things that they are still accountable to God and who God is. And yet, the Jewish people who did have the Old Testament law in the second half of chapter 2, he's saying, You guys are, it's great because you guys have all these traditions and, and rules that helped you know about God, but you didn't follow them. It was impossible to follow all of those. You're still in hot water just like the Gentiles are. Everyone is needing help. Chapter 3, we move on. In chapter 3, in verse 10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. And then down in Romans 3.23, we see a verse that's pretty well known to us. You may recognize it. it is Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of humanity is in hot water. We all genuinely need help. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we need to go to Romans chapter 5, and that is going to be where we're going to find some answers today. So if you're not already there, I'd encourage you to turn to chapter 5 of Romans, and our ushers are going to come forward if you need a Bible. So uh, just raise up a hand, say, hey, I could use one of those, and they'll loan you one. You can just leave it on your seat after uh, they take off um, and after you leave. That would be a good thing to do because I'd love for you to be in Scripture with us this morning. Um, Romans chapter 5, again, and we'll start in verse 1. And if you're already there... I want to ask you to stand up and pray with me. If you're able, please stand. And let's ask God to guide us as we dive into Scripture today. Join with me in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a big, magnificent, omniscient, infinite creator, and yet at the same time, you've given us the Bible, and we can read and truly know things about you. We can actually know how to connect with you, um, even though there is mystery there. God, thank you. We pray that your Spirit would guide us into truth, that we would be alert, open to hearing from you, and uh, that you would guide us into wisdom uh, this morning. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. So, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says... Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, wait a minute. We have to take a step back. Since we've been justified by faith? What is he talking about? Well, we got to back up to chapter 4 because every time you see a therefore, it's referring back to what's already been written. So we turn to chapter 4 and chapter 4, verse 22 says this, that is why his faith, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Mike went all through chapter 4 with us, and he described how chapter 4 is about Abraham. Abraham was known specifically for his faith in God. And so we read in chapter 22 that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was one righteous dude. Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? Okay. All right, we'll just let that go. Uh, Okay, righteous is uh, describing Abraham, and... And this isn't cool or groovy necessarily. This is saying righteous like upright, morally upright. But then when we look at Abraham's life, It wasn't always that way. (laughs) A lot of our life groups were looking at Abraham's life because we were in Romans 4 last week. So we checked out uh, in the historical accounts. It's Genesis 12 to 22. And that's the story of Abraham, the historical account where you read, oh man, Abraham was like lying to people. He like let his wife be like captured into a harem just to save his own skin. Uh, He was a coward. We're like, how is this guy an example of faith. (laughs) But when we read Genesis, the author's writing that his faith was credited to him, counted as righteousness. So Abraham's faith didn't make him righteous. Abraham's trust in God made it so that it was as if he was righteous, that God viewed him as righteous, even though he really wasn't. That's what Abraham's faith did. So that's kind of how that works. And then we look at that and we think, oh, wow, that's really cool for Abraham, but he died like centuries ago. What does that have to do with me? (laughs) Well, Paul picks up that question in the next verse, chapter 4, verse 23. He says, The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Why? Why for us? it will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what Paul is saying is, yeah, Abraham's faith was pivotal, and it helped God see him as righteous enough to be good with God. But yet, our faith can do the same thing. Our trust in God can also be the means for God to see us as righteous. And so, Paul is saying, Abraham's example is an example for us to follow. So, that's a good thing. He talks about how too. therefore, since we've been justified by faith, verse 1, there's this idea that Abraham was justified, and now we can be justified too. Now, that's a big 10-cent word that we'll probably never use in real life. So let's put the definition up on the screen. Justified, we've talked about a couple weeks in a row now, but just because it's hard to understand, let's read it together. You don't have to read it out loud, but I'll read it for you. An instantaneous legal act of God in which God thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and justification is when God declares us to be righteous in His sight. So that's what that means. And by the way, if you want a definition for any of the big words that we're using or you're confused, or you just want more resources and verses to read and stuff, I'd encourage you, go pick up the, the study guide we've got out in the lobby. It's right there on the resource table. Lots of cool extra verses to read, good resources. It's great. And it's got all those definitions on there too, because man, that's a mouthful. I knew I had to put it on the screen just so I'd get it right. Um, <laughs> so that's justification. Justification. So now, now that Paul has talked about what justification is, now we're going to figure out what do we do? What does our life look like with this new reality of being justified? And that's what this whole new section of Romans is going to be about. He's going to say, hey everyone, Romans 5-8 through all four chapters is going to describe our new life in Christ. What does that look like? How do we live out this kind of justification idea? What do I do with that? So here's some ideas that Paul's going to give us already to describe what our new life in Christ is like. Verse 1, back in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. And Jesus is how it takes place. Now, this peace here is not just the absence of war. It's actually a more, it comes from the Old Testament uh, idea of shalom, that word where there's this holistic wellness, this uh, this prosperity, a wholeness of being together. So we get that kind of peace. We're good with God. We can be on good terms with God because of the peace that Jesus Christ gives us. Secondly, through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So our faith, our trusting response to God also brings us into this this realm of grace, this status of favor with God. And it's amazing because Once again, how do we get access into this realm of grace? It's again through Jesus. Jesus makes it all possible. Think about it this way. Salvation is a little bit like when you know a friend who's working at Disneyland. And you go to the park, and you're like, oh, man. And they meet you at the front, and they sign you in with their special access. And you get in, and you're like, oh, man, I've got this glorious, unfettered access to this magic kingdom all day. I'm going to go on rides. I'm going to look at attractions. It's going to be so fun. And did you earn that? Nope. Did you pay for that? Nope. Did you deserve that? That could be debatable as well. (laughs) But it was all about who you knew that got you into that. Brothers and sisters, that's what heaven is like. And spoiler alert, heaven's a little better than Disneyland. Um, It's really cool. (laughs) But, But, you know, the analogy always breaks down. But heaven is a little bit like that because it's not about how good you are. It's not about what you've done or how much you deserve. You get into heaven based on who you know. And so one day, each one of us is going to be standing before God at the end of all things. And Jesus is going to see us. And if we've trusted in him, he's going to say, hey, dad, I know this guy. He's a friend of mine. He's going to say, hey, come on in. Jesus makes all of it possible. He's been so good to us. Third, Paul keeps going on. Since we've been justified by faith, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now this word rejoice can be kind of a churchy word, so suffice to say it can also be translated boast. We can be like, oh man, I've got this confidence in knowing that I have hope for the glory of God. Now speaking of Christian-y words, Glory can be pretty, you know, churchy too. Like, what does that mean? Well, remember how Romans 323, back in chapter three, well, we read, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God. We fall short of how awesome and holy God is. Well, there's gonna be a day at the end of all things where Paul is saying here, we have a hope that in the end we will be able to realize that glory of God in ourselves, that there won't be any sin left. See, there's a couple ways we understand salvation. Justification, like we talked about, is that instantaneous legal action where boom, God sees us as righteous. But then we've got things like sanctification, where we're slowly working out our salvation. We're figuring out what it means to walk as a Christian. We're walking further and further towards Christ's example and further and further from sin. But then eventually, we've still because we've still got those habits and sin it still has an effect on us, we'll eventually get to heaven, and we will be called, uh, it's called glorification. And that's when we will get new bodies Bodies that God has made for us, and there will be no more sinful effect on us, no more pain, no more brokenness, no more regrets, no nothing bad, because God will say, yes, the hope of glory is realized now. That is an amazing hope, is it not? To know that you, everything bad and broken about you is finally going to be solved in a way. What a hope. And so no wonder, Paul says, we rejoice. <laughs> we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Think about it this way. If, you, if you've got kids, I just took Ethan to the El Dorado Nature Center, and he got filthy. He was like rolling around in the dirt, eating dirt, like, you know, stuff kids do. And, but you know, as parents, no matter how dirty your kids get, you can always bring them home, and there's a hot bath waiting. There's hope. there's hope that even if they're dirty now, they'll be cleaned up in time for bedtime. Just know that we have hope as Christians that at the end of all things, we will truly, truly be clean. No matter what you've done, you will be clean. Oh, that is a great hope to have. Peace, grace, hope, our justification in Christ gives us so many benefits. And Paul goes on, verse 3 more than that he's still continuing we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope wait a minute paul suffering you're just listing all this cool awesome stuff isn't christian life just supposed to be gravy and rainbows i love this thing what's with the suffering paul says hey let's just be real roman christians i'm writing a letter to you're suffering Yeah, it's first century Rome. Christians are suffering. But get this, you're suffering because you are Christians. Because for the first time, you no longer belong to this broken world. You belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. You belong to a heavenly kingdom. And of course you're going to suffer here because you don't fit in anymore. Your trajectory is over there. And so Paul says, even in our sufferings, we can rejoice. Why? Verse 5. Hope, the hope we have does not put us to shame. In other words, we won't be disappointed as we hope because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, and it's kind of subtle here. You know, we've got grace, we've got hope, we've got peace, there's love. But look at one of the other gifts that we get here. It's Holy Spirit, It's the third person of the Trinity. God himself has been given to each one of us because of Christ's sacrifice. That's an amazing gift, too. What a reason to rejoice. And so we've got all this, and God's love is pouring through the Spirit into our hearts. And then we ask the question, wait, God's love, wait a minute, I'm suffering here, and you're saying I have hope for the future. How do I know God loves me right here and right now, though? And so Paul answers that in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus just didn't give us a hand up, a little help out. We were dead, and Jesus died to make us alive again. Look at what Paul says, verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, although perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? If your kid or like your spouse, someone you love is going to die and you could substitute your life for them, some of us would say, yeah, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Uh, If it's a really important person in my family, important person in the community, yeah, maybe I'd do that. But look at how Jesus dies for us here. Verse 8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. While we were still unclean. Before we we couldn't clean ourselves up. Before we even... Asked God for help while we were still saying, God, get out of my life. I'll run it myself. That's when God looked to us and said, Oh, while you're sinning, that's when I'm going to send my son to die for you. That is when Jesus represented us on the cross. That is incredible love. That's the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. That's amazing. And so Paul just keeps saying, let's rejoice. And man, I can see why. There's so much God has done for us. So we set our Bibles down and we just think back and we go, wow, that is amazing. Man, sometimes we go to church for years and uh, and this is what we've really been looking for. This is who we've really been looking for. Jesus makes it all possible. If you like to learn by writing notes down, in point one, it says that we can rejoice because Jesus makes us good with God right now, right in your life right now. As you trust in Christ, he can make us good with God. We get peace, hope, and grace because Jesus took our place. And so we rejoice. We rejoice. Well, Paul continues on as if that's not good enough. He keeps on writing in verse nine. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Not only has Jesus given us His righteousness to acquit us once and for all time, here and now, But Jesus' death on the cross actually covers us from God's wrath in the future. So at the end of all things, when we're all brought before the judgment throne of God and all of our deeds are examined, Jesus takes the bullet right then for every bad thing we've ever done. Jesus eats the cost of every sin. And nerdy theologians, here's another fun big word for it, likes to call it a double imputation. It's where Christ takes his righteousness and he puts it on us, but then he takes our sin and he puts it on himself. Think about it this way. Jesus is sitting in a coffee shop, gets a text alert. Bling! Alert, armed robbery. Uh, oh, man, that's, wow. Suspect wearing a, a green shirt, blue jeans, and a black hat. Be, be cautious. Oh, okay. Wow. So he walks out of the coffee shop and he's going to his car and then he bumps into you. And you're and you're out of breath and you're holding a gun and you have a green shirt, blue jeans and a black hat on. And you look at him and you just break down. And you say, I, "How did it come to this? How did I get here?" And Jesus listens. And then you're not sure why, but he takes his shiny new perfect outfit and he gives it to you. And you're not sure why but, or, or what's going on, but, but you put it on. And, and as you do, you look over to him, and, and he's suddenly wearing a green shirt and blue jeans, and he's pulling your black hat onto his head. And he says, Go in peace. And you're not sure why and you're confused, but you you start to walk away and your heart's thumping and you look back and you see there's Jesus and, and, and the police have shown up and they've thrown him up against the back of a cruiser and he's cuffed and you walk away and you think, what just happened? I'm amazed. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. You see, Jesus not only gives us his goodness to make us right with God, but he takes our punishment. What a Savior. What a God. This is another 10 cent word, uh, propitiation, that Jesus suffers the wrath of God in our place because that we don't have to. And man, it just keeps getting better and better. In verse 10, Paul just keeps going on listing all these benefits of our new life in Christ. Verse 10 says, if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. This is another big word here, reconciled, reconciliation. And if we're talking about all of our salvation words again, justification, sanctification, uh, glorification, this reconciliation is talking about our salvation in a relational term. So you heard the term enemy used. We used to be enemies of God because we told him, I want to do it my own way. I don't care. And, and we used to be at odds. And yet God said, even when you were my enemy, I'm going to send my son to die for you and reconcile this relationship. And so that's what reconcile means. Even when we shamed God by turning our back on him, even when we dishonored his instructions, God said, Nope, I want to be good with you on good terms. And he brought us in and not only reconciled us in a technical way, but he says in Scripture, and we'll read this later in Romans 8, he adopted us into his eternal family. Oh, now that's love. <laughs> It's just amazing. So we have the assurance of being a new life with Christ forever. And that's our next point. Rejoice because Jesus makes us good with God for eternity. What hope. We get peace, hope, and grace because Jesus took our place. And so we rejoice. Paul wraps up our section with one more verse here. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received this reconciliation. And so Paul is saying to his friends in Rome, he's saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't forget the profound truth of what God has done in your life. Don't forget that we Christians, we used to be enemies, but now we're friends. We're at peace. We've been reconciled, justified. We have peace, hope, and grace. We have love. We've got the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We've got so much going for us in this new life in Christ. So rejoice. Rejoice. He ends with that word in verse 11, rejoice, be thankful. We get peace, hope, and grace because Jesus took our place, so we rejoice. Think about it this way with another illustration. So my wife and I had Ethan. He was born, and ever since uh, from his birth onward, he was sharing our room. So, you know, a little bassinet and then all that. And as he's growing up, we were just in this tiny little studio, one-bedroom apartment in Long Beach, and we got tired. (laughs) any parents can give me an amen? We've t- we got really tired. And... Not just tired of like sleepless nights, but we got tired of like not being able to invite anyone over at night, because like anyone could wake him up with just that tiny apartment. We got tired of brushing our teeth in our kitchen sink every night, because we couldn't use our bathroom, because it was right next to his thing, and wake him up. We got tired of all this stuff, and so we thought, Lord, it would be so nice if we could move to a place, and he could have his own bedroom. <laughs> so we took a step of faith and thought, well, we'll just see what's out there. And we started looking, we called up a realtor, a friend recommended, and that... Is when it happened my parents found out and they gave us a huge loan that totally bolstered our down payment made it really possible to get a two-bedroom condo here in cyprus that we're now living in and we just thought whoa we were surprised like i didn't expect that and we were shocked and we were amazed and we were thankful And now, since uh, last summer onward, we'll invite people over. We can have people for dinner. We we host our life group each week. We can just, in general, be loud downstairs. And upstairs, Ethan's tucked away in this little room with the door shut, just sleeping peacefully. And it's wonderful. (laughs) Well, most of the time, he's asleep peacefully, Uh, you know, generally. Um, But do you see what made that possible? My parents had a generous loan that they gave us, and it made our new home possible. It was an amazing gift. And we can't can't even brag about our new place because it wasn't us. (laughs) It wasn't our savings. It wasn't our cleverness. It wasn't our goodness. It wasn't our deserving it. They just gave that gift to us. All we can do, we can't boast. All we can do is just be grateful and then use our new home however best we can to glorify God. Do you see the connection with what Paul is describing of our new life in Christ? Jesus' generous sacrifice made being right with God possible. And it's an amazing gift. We can't pay God back for it, ever. (laughs) We can't brag about our new life in Christ either because it's not due to our efforts. It's not due to our cleverness, our goodness, our deserving of it. The peace, grace, and hope that we have now, it's just due to God's love and his generosity. And so, all we can do is be grateful. All we can do is rejoice and then use our new life in Christ to glorify God however we can. That's the connection. We get peace, hope, and grace because Jesus took our place. And so, we rejoice. We rejoice. So as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, what does that look like? Rejoice still sounds kind of churchy to me. What does rejoice look like in my life. And so I just sat one morning and I started writing a list of things that I can be grateful for just as an exercise and just kind of brainstorming. And I'm, oh, I'm thankful for, you know, my wife and my son and the new home we have. I'm thankful for Ethan's laughter. And I'm thankful for outdoor places to explore, uh, a great new church family, um, old friends, bikes. I'm grateful for barbecue, uh, good leftovers, I'm grateful for, oh, babysitters. Oh, yes. And, you know, just going through all the different things. So that could be a practice for you to do, too, and just brainstorm. Your list could be short or long, but whatever it is, just let it be a way to cultivate gratitude in your heart. There's so much God has done for us. Sometimes we just need to sit and reflect and remember what He's done. So let that be an encouragement to you. I get peace, hope, and grace because Jesus took my place. I want to rejoice. Here's some ideas. What could rejoicing look like in your life today? Maybe you could start up a habit of praying each uh, day. Could be morning, night, or whenever. But just think of three things each day you can talk to God about that you're grateful for. Could be whatever. Could be like, you know, a soda you picked up at the thing. Or it could be like a monumental life event. It could be whatever you're thankful for. Let that cultivate in your heart. Maybe you could give thanks before each meal you get, but instead of it being like a dry ritual, you could actually mean it. (laughs) I really am thankful for this lunch. This is good, you know? Um, Maybe you could call up a parent, teacher, mentor, or friend who's had an influence in your life and just say, hey, thank you so much for investing in me. Uh, Maybe you could be more generous yourself, imitating the generosity God has shown you in your own life. You could serve others in new ways. You could uh, improve your commute, uh, not by making it shorter, unfortunately, but you could buy some new songs that you love and and worship God on your route and just have that change your attitude. Um, You could share the joy you found in Jesus with others like you haven't before in new ways. Maybe you could even invite your dental hygienist to church (laughs) like I was hoping to. However you do it and however you respond to the marvelous truths of what God's done in your life, talk to God about it this week. Figure it out. Figure out what works for you, but cultivate a heart of gratitude. God has done so much for you. He deserves our praise. We get peace, hope, and grace because Jesus took our place. And so we rejoice. We rejoice. Go ahead and pray with me as we close our time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. Uh, You have given us so much. And so, God, we want to say thanks, and we also want to say help us when we're not thankful. (laughs) God, your Son did so much by dying for us while we were sinners while we weren't asking for it and while we didn't deserve it and yet you still sent him to die for us and make us good with you god we pray that we would be thankful people teach us how to be people who live lives that are full of rejoicing full of thankfulness and god in the times where we do suffer where like paul wrote about we we don't need to sugarcoat life god Times are tough sometimes, and yet even in the difficulty, in the dark times, we can still thank you because we've got an eternity of hope and joy waiting for us, and we've got you walking each step of the way with us. So God, we pray these things. We thank you, and we pray for even more gratitude. Amen.